live from the next cast, Phanthropological Institute. Today we're talking about fans of Rick and Morty. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about a recent fandom that made quite a name for themselves over the past year. Rick and Morty fans. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick D. To be fair, you have to have a very high IQ to understand Rick and Morty. I can't finish it. I can't. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. And Nick Z. Well, I went to college, so I don't have to watch Rick and Morty. And also we have a special guest today, host of the Cynical Cartoons podcast, and here to answer for all the crimes of all the Rick and Morty fans, Tyler Marchand. Tyler, thank you for coming on. Thanks, you guys. And uh, I'll just give you the laziest ever uh, Wubba Wubba Wub Dub. There we go. Thanks, man. Absolved. If you are tuning in and don't have any idea what the heck we're talking about, uh, this week we're talking about Rick and Morty fans, and I'm here to give you a couple quick fast facts about the show about the fandom to kind of like get you in the position to understand when we start talking more about the fandom Fandom straight from wikipedia in this particular case rick and morty is an american adult animated science fiction sitcom created by justin roiland and dan Harmon, who you may know for uh community for example for the cartoon network's late night programming block adult swim the series follows the misadventures of cynical mad scientist Rick Sanchez and his fretful, easily influenced grandson, Morty Smith, who split their time between domestic life and interdimensional adventures. The series premiered on December 2nd, 2013. Uh, the third season concluded in October 1st, 2017, and a fourth season has been mentioned, but I don't believe it's been confirmed just yet. It's strange that it is interdimensional, but not international. They've, they've never gone <laughs> yeah, overseas that's... as far as I remember, so... <laughs> Not even like Space France. I don't know. Have they, have they been to Canada? No. Oh, man. I can't even think of a Canadian character, so certainly no, not. No CanCon at all. I guess they're living in uh, anywhere USA, so. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I took a look at the search data for Rick and Morty. Fortunately, it's one of the fandoms that we're covering that has a defined life after 2004, because that's as far as Google search goes back. Unsurprisingly, there have been some very large spikes in interest in Rick and Morty. Mm. And in general, interest in Rick and Morty has been on the increase, except for Mm. very recently, which is after season three has been released. The spikes unsurprisingly correspond to season releases. For example, October 2015, which was when season two started. April 1st of last year, which was the secret release of season three's first episode. And the top 10 countries interested in Rick and Morty Canada, Australia, United States, New Zealand, Ireland, Russia, Belarus, United Kingdom, Norway, and Israel. Is that in order? That like, is in order. U.S. doesn't search for Rick and Morty the most. That's surprising <laughs> to me. What's up with Canadians <laughs> and Rick and Morty? I have no idea. <laughs> it's a difference of like one or two percentage points, so it's not very large. Right. I was like, yeah, English-speaking country, English-speaking country, Russia, Belarus. Maybe we need to learn more about Russia and Belarus. <laughs> They've come up a lot. They it's love true. the antics of boy and a scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just like crudely rotoscope in like a talking dog as well. <laughs> over there, you know. 
Oh, he speaks man. Russian. He's the only character. And they're just like, they yeah, love yeah. that dog, Skippo. He's great, you know, but <laughs> nobody else knows about him. I love any time when a show is imported to another country where they change what the show is about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that there was actually an anime where they were like, and I don't know anything about anime, by the way. I don't know what the show is. Where they were like, yeah, just like dub it over to English however you like. You oh. can make it about whatever you want. <laughs> Throw that over to T. That was Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories, yeah. Yeah. The only reason I know that is because I've seen it, and the reason that I picked it up was for that exclusive reason. They're like, look, <laughs> the show is just really mediocre, so just, like, ad-lib a bunch of it. <laughs> right, right. I've heard it's pretty fun, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to go back and watch the sub and be like, okay, this is really mediocre. Let's just forget about it. <laughs> I really like this thing. I may as well, like, ruin it for myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I could, I could maybe do that with Samurai Pizza Cats, but, you know, yeah, you know. I did manage to find demographic information very slightly in the strangest possible way for fans of Rick and Morty. There was a survey run by YouGov, which I guess runs some sort of brand index, in relation to the whole McDonald's Szechuan sauce fiasco, which we'll come back to later. I'm going to avoid that (laughs) bullet for just a second. We'll set aside an hour to talk about it. Yeah, of course. That's right. (laughs) But from that data that they collected, they found out that 70% of fans are men. 44% 44% are ages 25 to 34. 36% make less than 30,000 annually. 87% use the internet as their primary source of information. 71% think that ads are a waste of time. 68% consider themselves to be introverts. And 61% don't feel like there's a sense of community where they live. Please tell me another metric on that was degree of education. Please. <laughs> Please tell me that. It did not have one. Well, most of them are 13, so probably, you know, junior high diploma. Also, I'm wondering who the 29% of Rick and Morty fans are that are like, yeah, ads aren't a waste of time. That's like my favorite. Part <laughs> no, of no I like ads. I yeah. Watch, you know, Tide commercial or whatever. Hey, man, what's that? What, uh, what's the Stranger Things, guys? He killed it with the Tide Pods ad. David Arbor. Yeah. David Arbor, yeah. But like in general, the largest group of Rick and Morty fans tend to be older male millennials. I don't know if that'll temper anything else, but I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then to close off, just a couple of quick fast facts. I looked at Archive of Our Own to try to find out what Rick and Morty fan works are there. Oh, man. Over 800 of those are rated as explicit. Mm-hmm. Over 1,300 of those are categorized as um, male-male relationships. I don't know if they're sexual, but like, understandably, you have rick and morty so there's that mm-hmm. right and the largest non-rick and morty fandom crossover was with gravity falls at almost 400 of the fanfics okay right and that one's kind of a little bit confirmed even like alex hirsch and justin Rowland have like a back and forth and they like incorporate some of the others work into their own stuff like i would think that tonally the most consistent one would be like bojack horseman maybe is the closest to rick and morty i don't know it's yeah. probably on the same emotional wavelength as rick and morty right yeah, but right. uh yeah uh, yeah because gravity falls is like it's got that like mystical otherworldly scientific aspect to it but definitely a more optimistic and like kid-friendly <laughs> atmosphere yeah rick and morty's sure. not at all yeah i don't ever want to turn on an episode of gravity falls to see rick come out of the portal ever I mean, it's not going to happen now. Yeah. What was interesting was that there were very few other fandoms listed, and what were listed were like 20 or 10. So there's almost no fanfic being written between other fandoms. It's like 
Rick and Morty, and maybe Rick and Morty with Gravity Falls. Yeah. So that's what I got for facts, fandom facts about Rick and Morty. Uh, before we dive into the bigger discussion, we had some last words, some famous last words from last episode, uh, which is where we try to come up with something before we do any research on this week's podcast. I'm going to start with Z. You had <laughs> okay. asked, and uh, Tyler, feel free to, to jump in here if you, you know more than we do, because mm-hmm. you probably will. Actually, with Z's question, no one might be helped. Does the sci-fi help Rick and Morty transcend English? That's what I summarized it as. Yep, yep. I mean, that's a that's a good summary. Interesting. I mean, that's pretty much my exact question. Anyway, in my researches, the angle that I went with was to uh, do the old trick from season four of uh, Fantastical, typing in the question, "Why are you a fan of thing?" and then just throwing that into Google Translate copying and pasting the result into google itself and seeing what came up um, and i tried that with spanish with french with chinese and with arabic okay and all of those things gave me results that actually did direct me to articles about like why rick and morty is great or top 10 things about rick and morty or like huh. all these articles that actually did put it in a pretty glowing light i kind of find it maybe a little bit uh, stereotypical and for that reason a little bit funny, that the French sites often said that Rick and Morty was so good uh, because, specifically in 2015, it was regarded by this one French site, Les Inrocks, L-E-S-I-N-R-O-C-K-S, as the most poetic cartoon of the year. Oh, so they don't watch BoJack. No. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Because, come on. I mean, or, wait, which year was this? 2015. 2015, okay. So there wasn't a Don Hertzfeld film out that year. <laughs> it's it's interesting to me that this show could transcend language barriers at all, mm-hmm. actually. Because it's it's pretty commonly just said, like, comedy doesn't really translate well a lot of the time. Yeah. And it's not a particularly good looking show like rick and morty sort of it's it's like that flash animation where they just like clip the here's the mouth and they just put it in and then here's the arm we're just gonna move like it doesn't yeah it's not like it looks incredible so it really seems like maybe all that you would get out of it if you don't speak english is like sight gags like the sci-fi concepts i would think they're too complicated to understand unless you know what the characters are saying i don't know i don't really know if they were dubbed into these other languages i want to say that they probably were because at least one uh, one of the spanish articles that i looked at did mention that it was on their netflix huh okay so i would think that it would be dubbed in that case all right but aside from just the sci-fi elements being something that seemed to give people in other countries other non-english speaking countries an into the show were all the references to cinema like the cronenbergs Right, a lot of the episodes are just straight up film yeah. references, like yeah. the thing episode or like the Inception episode or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So apparently, those two things—the sci-fi elements and like the the cinema references—were enough to really get people interested in the show to to the extent where they would call it the most poetic cartoon of the year. Right. In the Chinese site that I found, they love it because it's bizarre and funny. I'm very curious how any place translated the interdimensional cable episodes. Yeah. <laughs> if that came across. They just did their own improv and it's like totally different. <laughs> that would have been great. 
Oh, they would have to reverse engineer it because in the show they base the visuals off the improv. So in the the yeah. Chinese edit, it would be basing the improv off the visuals. Yeah. Whoa. And they yeah. don't let them watch it before time. They just have to watch it and like try and keep up with what's <laughs> happening. Oh, <laughs> uh, that'd be good. That'd be great. I think that there are other dubs of the show actually because I have the Blu-ray for season one and two, and I think mm-hmm. there's definitely at least like four or five languages on there. Wow. Okay. All right. I feel like at least one translation probably just plays it straight. It's just like, oh, this is the script of what the English is. Right. Like uh, this yeah. trans- translation <laughs> or somewhere that doesn't have a whole lot of comedy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they just read it straight. Yeah. I'm Ants in My Eyes Johnson, and I have Ants in My Eyes, and you should buy all the things in my store. His yeah. is just like this really sad poem about his life living with ants in his eyes and how he doesn't feel anything. It changes uh, the context completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another thing that seemed to be really important was that uh, the show takes its characters like desperation and sort of mundane everyday cares and woes seriously right and uh, a few times but particularly on the Spanish sites that I was looking at I would see it compared to the Simpsons sort of along that line interesting yeah where it's like everyday things but through a lens that either makes them funny or absurd or sci-fi right i was about to say do you think king of the hill had like a huge international audience or like home home movies or something king of the hill maybe. it's just so mundane i can see how king of the hill <laughs> would make it anywhere else no not outside <laughs> of texas even like i'm in western <laughs> washington <laughs> oh my goodness i'm gonna move on to g's famous last words from last episode which were what ma- there's actually two questions in here what makes people think that they're watching a smart show and how does that influence how they feel about watching Rick and Morty? Before I uh, throw to G, I'm I'm kind of curious what Tyler's insight on this is. Yeah, I. So this this will sort of tip my hand a little bit, maybe about how I feel about the Rick and Morty fandom these days, especially in the last <laughs> year, maybe. I think that the show caters a lot to an audience that skews younger, you know, like maybe like thirteen to sixteen, maybe, and and likes to think that they're smarter than the world and it i I feel like it's sort of like an i am very smart situation like it's the the concepts are really cool in the show and i think that like if there wasn't all the hype around it you could watch it and be like oh that's clever or oh that's smart but like if the show is built up as this is the smartest show ever and you have to have an extremely high iq to understand (laughs) rick and morty then it sort of like you know negates that entirely i don't know yeah so like there's a few things here First of all, as you said, you know, there are a lot of like younger people watch the show who think they're they're above everything. And when you're that age, I think nihilism seems very smart. Mm. As someone who's like, oh, I've done everything and I know there's no point to anything. And you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Steve, man. That's me. I'm 14. I'm just like Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, like from what I've read from people like um, posting on subreddit and things like that. Like that it doesn't hold your hand and guide you through it. Like things can end unsatisfactorily or like it's not making sure you keep up kind of thing. And like, like, I guess I get that. And the other thing is that it sometimes does let emotion hit. Sometimes. Like the whole episode will be perpetuating some kind of crazy scenario and then everything will stop. And then like the repercussions are actually felt. I will say occasionally as an addendum to that. But I think people think that that adds to the uh smartness of the show and i think most of it is more in how it's written more than what is actually talked about on the show 
Because everything when people say, oh, it's very high-minded in philosophy and science, those are all references. That's all they are. Right. I mean, cool episode concepts and like little sci-fi short stories. Like the one with the, um, they're all the timelines happening at the same time. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that's neat. And like playing with format is another writing thing that like people really cotton to because it's not like anything else. That's kind of what I find out. Epsilon Mingle in the chat. Uh, it's just very well written. I mean, Dan Harmon being the writer of Community, very clever writing in there as well. I'm not going to argue that it's not well written. No, I, I think it is. Right. Yeah. Even the decision to have like Justin Roiland improv half of an episode, I think is, <laughs> right. is an interesting choice. But yeah, it, it is well written. I think the thing is, is that any negativity that it might seem like I have towards the show is definitely not on the show. I think that structurally it's really, really sound. And I didn't like enjoy season three as much as I did one and two, but that doesn't mean that it was at all bad. Like it's still one of the best like animated shows on TV right now, you know, mm -hmm. just because there's not like that many options for amazing adult animation and anything that I'm comparing it to is like harvey birdman or something from 12 15 <laughs> yeah. years ago you know Birdman. <laughs> sorry i haven't seen that in forever yeah it's it's a great show yeah that's a good one but yeah i feel like i do sort of have a negative attitude towards it but yeah dan Harmon definitely knows story structure like more than like anybody he'll just talk and talk and talk about story structure for hours and he's really compelling to listen to he definitely knows his stuff and has a passion for you know, and for writing and for unconventional narratives and things like that. And Justin Rowland, too, you know. I think they make a good pairing because, like, Dan Harmon sort of, like, drags back Justin Rowland's stuff into, like, a realm of sanity. And Justin Rowland is like, let me go. I'm, I'm a weirdo. I'm just going to go out there and, like, say whatever I want. Oh, wow, here I go. And, like, I think that pairing works really well. It makes me wonder how much influence Justin Rowland has over the character of Lemon Grab. Yeah. All of the most screwed up episodes in Adventure Time are, are based around Lemon Grab. <laughs> They're usually my favorites, but yes. That character is so great because I, I like that character a lot and I like like the meme of Lemon Grab and like all of the repeated <laughs> jokes about it, but like I hate listening to him so much. He's like intolerably <laughs> stupid. <laughs> and I think it's funny that like Justin Roiland wants oh, to like default to like something that you can't listen to and he's like a voice actor, you know? <laughs> yeah. He really wants to explore like the edges, the edges of tolerability. <laughs> Right. I mean, there there's a lot of that in in Rick and Morty. Yeah. I think it was Harmon was like, oh, let's let's have this as a as a bunch of eleven minute things. It's like, no, we're not we're not doing that. It's going to be a regular half hour show. Yeah. It's like, what about if we release an episode in fifteen second clips on Instagram? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess we can do that. <laughs> How is that Kaufman. profitable? How do you make money off of that? Wait, was that a real idea? <laughs> or Was that something that you just said? Because that sounds like something they would think about doing <laughs> they did it wait really yeah oh that's crazy i found out that the interdimensional cable was released on instagram as a bunch of 15 seconds oh they clips. did it holy crow <laughs> yeah they did it wow that must have been like on the tail of it already being leaked because there were a lot of leaks in season two so maybe they were like it's already out there on the internet for people to find maybe if we just like release it on instagram as a funny thing because that's the most inconvenient way to watch it 15 <laughs> seconds at a time and then it won't even really matter when it airs on TV because anybody who was going to steal it already stole it. <laughs> That's fair. Interesting. I would have put it on Instagram 15 seconds at a time, but out of order. <laughs> you know, start like... There you go. 
I mean, I didn't follow up on it, so they could have done that, but they definitely released it in 15-second clips. Hmm. My famous last words from last episode was more like a little history lesson, and that was, why did they decide to greenlight the show hmm. being based on the short Dak and Maddie? Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting part of the show's history. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, for those not in the know, Doc and Marty is a short for a thing called Channel 101, and it's basically a parody of Back to the Future where all of Marty's problems are solved by blowing the Doc. That's just it. All problems are solved that way. Right. Not time travel, not anything else. That's totally consistent with like all of Justin Rowland's work on Channel 101. He made things like, I think Dog World might have been on there. He made something called House of Cosby's, which was a guy and all of his Bill Cosby clones. (laughs) A lot of things like that. It's, it's interesting to see like where, where his origins sort of are, you know, because you can see like the sparks of Rick and Morty in there. Like he does like the same voice and the same, the characters all talk the same way, just a little bit less structured, I guess. Yeah. I looked into it. The story is not super exciting. Adult Swim was looking for a primetime hit after Harmon was fired from working on Community. And so they they kind of saw this and kind of workshopped it from there. And I think the first episode was written in like six hours or something. Like right before before they go in for the pitch or like before they were supposed to get it to the studio, like they were hired and it was written? I don't remember the specifics of it. The Wikipedia page does a really good job of of talking about it but like there's not any particular reason like i thought that oh with doc and marty with this really weird short that it it'll there'll be an interesting story behind it but not there wasn't actually that much of an interesting story behind it it was just like we're adult swim we're gonna have weird weird zany shows for adults so here you go yeah i'm glad that it definitely went up in quality from the love from you know animation and writing from doc and marty because (laughs) man that's a rough watch Son Mingle says he's going to lead a black metal band if he keeps screaming like that. Well, if you attend to chat, I will post you a link that I think you may enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, things that we can't do while watching the show. Nope. <laughs> so that's all we had for, for Famous Last Words, which means it's time to talk about the show, to talk about things like, you know, I'll start us off. Why do we think people are fans of Rick and Morty? Tom, I'm ask you this, since you're a, you're a um, out, of, out of all of us, the most qualified to answer this question, at the very least. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Are people over the idea of, like, the inherent contradiction in adult cartoons? What What do you mean by that? Sorry, clarify a little bit. Like, I feel like this, like, The Simpsons is, like, the big mm-hmm. example, but, like, people really interested in, like, the idea of animation, which is traditionally at least over here for kids, always. Right. With adult situations and swearing and sex and violence and all that stuff do you think people are like not amused by that at all do you think that's still a draw for anyone i think it totally is in the modern era i've talked about it a lot on my show cynical cartoons i think animation is a really cool format for like shock humor and for drama and especially with those two things combined you know like i referenced bojack horseman a couple of times and i think it's funny because the things that happen in bojack like, especially the dramatic moments, if they happen in live action, you would just be like, this is too much. You know, it's like this is a horrible situation and these characters are horrible and irredeemable at times. And I don't think that I can continue watching this. But I think in animation, you can counteract that kind of thing with like this horrible thing is happening. But also five seconds later, there's somebody like trapping clowns in the forest with bear traps, you know, 
<laughs> and I think that, that that contradiction is so like inherent in adult animation that it brings you something that you just like can't do with live action. You know, something like Archer is just like so snappy that like if characters talked that way in a live action show, it would just be like uncomfortable, you know, and you would say like, I need room to breathe. But in that format, they can just like do literally whatever they want as long as it's within the confines of the budget, you know? It makes like kind of an, an unreality screen so that it's you're kind of, because even now you're talking about just like fast dialogue is right. more acceptable in animation. And that's not like a crazy visual trick even, but like because they're animated, it's like that's their world. Right, and characters can like do things that are like crass or just ridiculous. And you're like, well, I know this character is like, I don't know, out a coconut and that's disgusting. But like, it's funny because it's animation. Nobody would ever want to watch that live action. <laughs> that's horrifying and not even possible to film. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of shows that have or even movies that have gross out humor of that caliber. Yeah. But I'm really struggling. <laughs> like a Mike Myers movie from the late 2000s. I don't know. Like maybe the love guru. Was there anything like that? In the yeah. love guru? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but that's the thing is like when that kind of stuff happens in like, I mean, scary movie is a bad example because scary movie is just a live action cartoon, <laughs> you know? So somebody yeah. can like, I don't know. Sorry. I just realized I might've been cussing a lot throughout this episode. <laughs> I don't think you have yet. That's okay. Oh, good. Okay. Because I was about to talk about the the scene where Anna Faris is like blasted to the ceiling in the first scary movie. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Something I said, Venture Brothers is also a good example of that, like surreality or snappy dialogue. Right. Right. Yeah. Or his recent example, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is bordering on ludicrous. Yeah. What do you mean bordering? It's straight yeah, up sorry, ludicrous. It definitely yeah. is ludicrous. Never watched it, but everyone on that show seems like a garbage person. They are, especially Frank. Yeah, I, he's think, I think that's a the point. But, he's a trash yeah. man. Yeah, it's good stuff. You got to get on that before it eventually leaves Netflix. Actually, it might have already. I don't know. I mean, there's only like upteen seasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's like eleven or twelve. Wow. It's still sunny. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think, like, one of the parts that draw people into Rick and Morty, setting aside the issue of, like, adult cartoons, is that absurdity. Like, you can find bizarre, surreal circumstances in many different cartoons and many different shows, but it it's the degree to which it's taken. Mm-hmm. It could be the combination of the absurdity of the situations and then, like, the nihilistic backdrop that everything ends up on, that it's just like, this is weird, and ultimately it doesn't matter. Like the whole Szechuan sauce thing. It's something that people can latch on. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes maybe the show sees something in the fandom that the fans really like. And they're like, all right, everybody really liked this. And like, we don't really have a hook for this episode. So let's just like throw in something like that. Like Pickle Rick or like the Szechuan sauce thing where they're like, we're just going to say this 15 times. And the fans are going to like latch onto it, you know, and that's going to be like the new thing. And I don't know that that might be like the intrinsic problem with. I don't know with the show nowadays and how it like interacts with people. I don't know how they're going to handle that in season four, because I feel like maybe Justin Rowland and Dan Harmon aren't happy with the way that things turned out, like with the Szechuan sauce thing, maybe. Yeah. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to like make big changes in the next season, hoping to draw, I don't know, an audience that won't be enraged that they hire female writers or, you know different uh, things that like was the that worst. yeah it's it's very strange mm. that like a show that i like is also like a favorite of people on the red pill and it's like oh maybe i need to reevaluate my no it's not the show's fault i don't know 
There was a really good uh, quote from an article from the AV Club talking about Rick and Morty's worst fans don't deserve Rick and Morty because obviously it's not. It's just like it's it's not all not all men. It's just like it's not all fans, but like there are some that spoil it for everybody, and that's the point. And uh, I think this is from Dan Harmon. It says uh, these knobs they want to protect the content they think they own, and somehow combine that with their need to be proud of something that they have, which is often only their race or gender. It's offensive to me as someone who is born male and white and still works way harder than them that there's some white male fan out there trying to further some creepy agenda by protecting my work. I've made no bones about the fact that I loathe these people. I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about the show? When did you all start watching? I do believe I showed it to the two of you. You did. Oh, absolutely. You did. I'd only watched the first two episodes or something, maybe? Like... I think they made them available, the first few available on YouTube early on. Yeah. And I remember watching those, yeah. Right, that was where I found the first one, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, I I think one of the uh, strong points of the show is that it's not a hard sell. You know, if you show somebody the first episode or any random episode, they'll immediately know, this is what the show is, and I either do or I don't like it. And most people, I feel, will like it. Yes. You know, like something like, like Venture Bros I tried to get into pretty recently, and I watched like the first episode and i was like i know that people say this is amazing but i guess it's going to be kind of a slow burn and like i i sort of like bailed out on it because i had other things to do but some shows you watch and immediately just like it it snaps and you get what it is yeah i was on board with this the first episode i watched i had a lot of people say that i think you guys might have as well that the first episode was like kind of middling and it got better as it went on but i have to look this up now I've just, like, forgotten what the first episode was about. The first one is the one where they go, they, like, take the portal gun to get that seed thing. Oh, the seed, right. In his butt. They're, they're bureaucrats. Yeah. Morty. Got right. it. <laughs> it's a lot of just setting up the family dynamic and the dynamic between Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. which is funny because it seems like Rick is just, like, so much more cruel in that episode than he is throughout the rest of the series. I don't know. He seems especially nihilistic in the beginning. Yeah, they may have softened him a little bit. I mean, I mean, we got characters as the season goes on and like backstories and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I do like that they've built on like the ancillary characters a lot. Like Summer has become like a real forerunner in the series, and Beth has taken more of a front seat, and Jerry has sort of like been pushed back a little bit. And it's not that I don't like Jerry; it's just interesting to see them like re-rolling the dice and saying like people like all of these characters. Let's give them all something to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could have been the family is exactly the same and Rick and Morty keep having adventures, but they mix it up. Yeah, like they could have even leveraged that in-universe because, you know, they died in the one universe after the Cronenberg situation. Yeah. Came to another universe and could have just played that gag out all the time being the family is the same every time because it's a different family every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could be the show every week. It's like Quantum Leap. (laughs) Their family dies, all of them die, and they go to a new universe where everybody is bugs or cans of frosting i don't know that just talk it's plausible <laughs> rick and morty fan theories for uh, season four are hot and on this show right now <laughs> we've already covered it probably quite a bit but like even if the philosophy and like the science and stuff in the show are just references and it's not like the show is developing these ideas in any grand way I still think that's a pretty big draw. Not just so that, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds can say, I'm so smart, I watch Rick and Morty. But just because it's like, 
a really good example of how Harmon wanted to create this show. And I'm getting this from Wikipedia, so grains of salt, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to create this show that was like a mashup of sort of the classic TV sitcom with science fiction told with like a British TV storytelling sensibility where the continuity is kind of kind of there, but it's not super important. You know, he's taking some some notes from Hitchhiker's Guide and Doctor Who. Yeah. Red Dwarf, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely continuity, but it's not really strictly adhered to. No. And I think that like that combination of elements really helps its popularity. And maybe it just goes back to the age-old thing that seems to have been around since uh, since America and Britain's parted ways, where <laughs> British things just seem smarter. Right. <laughs> maybe. If the continuity can be moved aside for like a really good joke, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. They're not slaves to canon, nor should they be as a comedy show. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's something about when comedy shows are are sometimes not comedic that like people are like, whoa, this is such a good show. It does two things. <laughs> I I think that I sort of feel that way. I like when like a comedic show can take like a dramatic slant to it and like make that kind of moment work, you know, because I think that I don't know, comedy and drama go well together, and I don't like a show that just, like, is straight-up drama all the time. I mean, even something like Breaking Bad, you know, has really, really funny moments in it. Mm-hmm. Or something like Mad Men, you know? Yeah, like, as Duff represents real life more, it's not... Like, this is a comedy show for 30 minutes, so literally you can't take anything seriously and no one has emotions or anything like that. Right. The thing that I, that I keep comparing this show to in my head is Futurama. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of influence And there. it's like, there's so many parallels except futurama was like it didn't have a nihilist point of view it was just like eh, people are pretty much the same things are like futuristic but it doesn't change people mm-hmm. yeah it was kind of optimistic even like you can walk down the street and there's like suicide booths but like it's just it's just accepted like everybody's like yeah that's there but it's not like we're all gonna go commit suicide it's just okay to do it if you want to <laughs> it's there if people want it yeah 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 that had a lot of like what they called like 0.1 percenter jokes in it too yeah. but i think <laughs> there were a lot of visual gags and stuff like that <laughs> right but like it just seems like a like a like the next generation of that but with a with a more cynical viewpoint to match our more cynical world mm-hmm. well i mean if you like rick is probably the best example of that and i i really have a hard time understanding why people find brick to be relatable because sure like well lots of reasons he's a master of his own domain he's like almost a god in many ways he's very self-aware wisecracking like talk shit about people always comes out on top and he is a cold misanthropic know-it-all and like i don't know about you but i don't know anyone like that i know some people who can be curt i know some people who can be a bit of a know-it-all but like i don't think anybody can relate to that I think self-destruction and depression are definitely relatable themes in a character. You know, I feel like, I mean, even if somebody doesn't have depression, they still get the thing of like, I don't know, I'm sad for no reason and I take it out on other people. So I think that people relate to Rick in the way of like, maybe that's what they want to be like. Maybe they're like, I wish that I could disconnect so much that like, I wouldn't give a shit my whole family died and I just jumped to another universe. I don't know. Because especially if it's young fans on like a really emotional level, they would connect to like, I don't want to 
feel this strongly about everything. I kind of want to be able to like shrug everything off and joke about it and not give it anymore. Yeah. Right. For younger fans, that makes sense. For older fans, I could see like somebody like Beth who had dreams and gave them up for her family or Morty. Who's kind of just somebody who's mostly swept along for the ride and doesn't feel like they're in control of things. Mm hmm. But I mean, that's I guess that's a skew between like younger and older fans, maybe. It's interesting though, because it's like it's it's not like they're different shows for different people. Like it's all they're everybody's watching the same content. But you know, people saying like, "Oh man, Rick is so cool," but like I feel like from a different perspective, you like feel sorry for him because he's got everything, right. but he's not happy. Right. He could have everything he wanted in theory, but like he's got a hole that he's trying to fill, and he can't do it. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the show, like, tackles that on a base level, like, so many times. It shows us that, like, he literally, like, can go to this world where everybody on the entire world is in love with him. Like, the one where his his girlfriend was a, a hive mind, yeah. you know? And he can, like, literally have anything, you know, any of these millions of people. And this person loves him with everything that she is. And he's still just, like, kind of, like, that's, that's not enough, really. I kind of yeah. have to go back to this other life because, I don't know, that just doesn't work for him. Is that the episode where he almost kills himself at the end? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just because, like, that really drives the point home in that episode. He's, like, a man of ambition, has everything that he wants, but he's st still miserable to the point of, like, ending it all. Right, right. And I think that also comes back to, like, the serialization thing you guys were talking about earlier. Like, in one episode, he can, like, almost kill himself at the end. And then in the next episode, he's just, like, going on a fun trip to, like, in a tiny universe or, like, going to... I don't know, just going on antics. And it's like you could kind of just watch them out of order and most of the time it just wouldn't matter. No, it's true. I don't know. I think that's definitely a strong feature of the show. Yeah. Yeah, if there's one episode in particular that you like know has a reference to something you really enjoy or is like based on a movie you've really enjoyed, you can just pop that one in, check it out, and maybe get hooked. <laughs> I mean, the Scary Terry Inception one. <laughs> oh, man. It's <laughs> a pretty good time. Just go down. What is your guys' like, favorite element of the show? Is it, like, you know, whatever, the nihilistic themes or the jokes or the references or the sci-fi concepts? Like, what about it really appeals to you the most? I got two answers here. I do like that they kind of, like, they'll take a concept and be like, hey, this episode, we're looking at what if this and then they just kind of like peer around, see how that might work. It reminds me of Kurt Vonnegut, actually, who whenever he had Kilgore tried around, he'd just spend a couple pages describing <laughs> a short story Kilgore Trout wrote where this happened. He was right. just kind of like leaving sci-fi ideas <laughs> lying around. And I feel like it's pretty good at like picking them up. It's like, let's add emotion to this or let's, you know, bring this. What if this happened really on Earth or like now? I do like that aspect of it just like what are we going to tackle next but really it's just the interdimensional cable episodes <laughs> like i would be lying if i said that the international cable was not a huge aspect like, of the appeal. like improv and um, animation right yeah it's ridiculous for me some big components are not knowing what to expect like there are many shows that you watch and like this is going to happen and this is going to happen or even if you're wrong the wrongness that you are is inconsequential right I'm a huge fan of like things that are very meta. Some of my favorite like anime, as an example, are shows that are about anime or about video games or things like that. Mm -hmm. And the show has like no qualms with being very 
meta or uh when they introduced mr poopy butthole it's like oh we'll put him into the opening credits it's like <laughs> was he always there right you'll never know i mean you will know because you've been watching the show or an episode that intentionally like totally misleads you like the marketing for the council of ricks episode in season three was like all about like rick and morty going to atlantis and then yeah the name of the episode had something about atlantis in it and then the first 10 seconds the characters go to atlantis (laughs) and then it totally follows some other totally different story i like that it like they like to pull a fast one on their audience you know they'll show us an episode early but they'll show it 30 times in a row you know take up an entire 12 hour slot of tv i like that yeah and i the cleverness of the writing is is just fun sometimes sometimes they'll just make a joke at the expense of nothing else like if you think about it it's not funny to have a little boy shove something way up his butt but just how that line is delivered is funny right yeah or it's like somebody being murdered it's like (laughs) oh he's a bureaucrat don't worry about it it's like oh okay but it's funny in the moment it's just well written Right. It's clear, and we and we definitely know this about Dan Harmon. It's never going to be like a set it and forget it sort of situation. They're not going to be like, ah, eh, this works, so we'll just do this from now on. I know Dan Harmon is like meticulous and like tortured over like being able to keep being creative and keep coming up with stuff that satisfies him. Mm-hmm. So I think that comes across. Yeah. Like I wouldn't say any episode of Rick and Morty is lazy. No. Yeah, that's interesting because I kind of feel like interdimensional cable 2 is kind of lazy <laughs> i was gonna go right there yeah the framing story to me is really good but the time when they're actually in the studio doing the improv i'm like oh justin Rowland doesn't like this he doesn't want to be doing this right now and like the studio made him do it because the first one was such a hit and that's why they didn't do it in season three i don't know maybe they'll do that again in like season four but it kind of seems like paintball in community to me you know it's like yeah. the they did and then they did it again they're like i guess this is the thing we do every year now and they're stuck with it. I don't know. I remember nothing from Interdimensional Cable 2 and many things from Interdimensional Cable 1. I remember Michael Vincent Quadrant yeah. 16. Right, Mr. Steely or whatever, the the like the thing that goes around and steals. But it's it's funny because if you would mix them up, like if Interdimensional Cable 2 was the one that I saw first, maybe I wouldn't feel that way. Maybe it would have felt like super fresh and I was I would have been like, this is incredible, like I did with the first one, but... I think that, I don't know, sometimes the show like builds up expectations for something, sort of, and then you get to that point and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel the same. I don't know. Well, I mean, your thoughts on whether or not the show is lazy or not, I guess, kind of stems on how do you feel about improv. Oh, sure. <laughs> because it's not necessarily the most clever improv in the world. It's like, we're going to animate this later, so you can't just go off and do anything. It has to be kind of constrained. And it's like, how much has Justin Roiland had to drink? And Well... I appreciate you guys uh, pop my blue with needles. I think for the most part, it's still not a lazy show, but you like, good point. Oh, right. Okay. I would totally agree. But I feel like they sometimes want to lean into the effort, no effort kind of thing. Like Get Swifty is a good example. Like it's not supposed to be good. It's supposed to sound like he's just making it up. Right. But at the same time, people are like, yeah, Get Swifty. So it's like, could they have put anything? Probably not quite, but like the appearance of no effort is, I feel like, a big part of the show. Mm. Or like the, the right amount of low effort. <laughs> they go to great lengths. Yeah. <laughs> the show does feel kind of like counterculture sometime yeah. in the same way that Adult Swim has always been. Like Adult Swim is always like home movies, you know, I think was a completely improvised show with like the squiggle <laughs> vision and like 
Tim and Eric and all of this stuff. And I think it's funny that they're such like trendsetters that now everybody wants a Rick and Morty, including Adult Swim. They're like, what? what is the next Rick and Morty? Is it? We don't even know. Like, we're just throwing at the wall and seeing what, what sticks. And so it'll be interesting to see what how it sort of affects like the cultural zeitgeist in the next couple of years, because it seems like we still haven't gotten that show that like captures the essence of Rick and Morty enough to, to keep up with it, I guess. And maybe, maybe that moment will just like pass, you know, maybe Rick and Morty two or three years from now won't really be that popular anymore. And people will be like, well, we didn't, we didn't do it. Like it didn't stick. I don't know. Everybody will uh, be watching Mark and Jim. Yeah. <laughs> which is a show about two really nice people that aren't scientists they're just a couple of jerry's in an apartment and they they have sex with a lot of ladies that's the main premise of the show i feel like you've just named any number of sitcoms, all by chuck glory I mean, yeah who knows i feel like cbs has already ordered three seasons right <laughs> what was this mark and jim we need to trademark that get a catchphrase get to it yeah right, what about you z well, I only ever saw the first season. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the third. Flashing so. my cards a little early here. Right, yeah. But like from what I saw, I would definitely say the clever writing and specifically the reference to uh, to the Cronenbergs. Because like, it's not something I expected to ever really have referenced. This like <laughs> this Canadian director who like hasn't hey, made a movie in how many years? Count. Right. Yeah, but at the same time, is so well known for his bizarre on-screen creations. It's just really unexpected. I think that's funny too that they sort of cemented the name David Cronenberg <laughs> into people's minds. Like he's like one of my, uh, yeah. I don't know. I say a lot. He's one of my favorite directors. I really like The Fly and like Naked Lunch, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't even seen Scanners or like a lot of his stuff. Yeah, I think that the repeated nature of the show sticks things in people's minds. Like people wouldn't know what disney mulan's mcdonald's szechuan sauce is without this Mm -hmm. but it became like a cultural thing you know people wouldn't know what turbo teen is but the show like had a joke about it and so they all looked into it so i don't know maybe maybe this is a way for the show to like hit up somebody's spot and justin Rollins just like this is a youtube channel i really like everybody check it out (laughs) and then it becomes like the next big thing where it's like dogs singing karaoke or something i don't know yeah What's interesting about that, too, is because other adult cartoons like, say, Family Guy are built off of the premise of just being referential. Mm -hmm. But I haven't really gone out of my way to look up every single reference. Like, there's specifically one joke. I don't even remember what it was. It's like, it's just like this person. They cut to a scene and it's like, you don't even know who I am. And I still don't know who that person (laughs) is. That is a reference to Annie Hall. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh. Oh, okay. I still haven't seen Annie Hall, so good job, Family Guy. You haven't changed my behavior. Yeah, I've seen Annie Hall. I haven't seen this episode of Family Guy. I don't know. Oh, it, it's like the second or third season or it's, something. Yeah, it's early it's on. It's not like yeah. a super recent one. Right. Some yeah. 19th century member of British Parliament, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But, like, completely forgettable. Didn't get me to go to a McDonald's, <laughs> try to buy some very highly coveted Szechuan sauce. And uh, make us think about it on the internet. Right, you didn't jump up on the counter and take your shirt off and like crawl around on the floor and scream about it. I don't know if you guys have seen that nope. video, but it's I have it's not. sure something. I'll send you a link afterwards. I've had the opportunity to click on it and not take <laughs> that opportunity. Yeah, if you, that's the thing. I think that was my turning point on Rick and Morty <laughs> fandom. If you want to not like people in general, then watch this video. I'll send you a link later. Um. 
I, I do also want to say, though, I mean, I I don't know. I've sort of railed on the fandom for being young and immature a lot. I don't think that it's a bad thing to be young and to be a fan of something. Like, I watched a lot of Adult Swim when I was, like, 10 or 12. Like, I, I wouldn't judge somebody for being a fan of the show. I just think that, like, the part of the fandom that I don't like is, like, the volatile nature of it. You know, like, the people that would lash out at a writer or lash out at a company or be mad at somebody for not understanding the show, you know, mm-hmm. I think is where it sort of poisons itself. I don't know, though. When I was doing the research, I found a bunch of articles which were like, how do I make whoever a fan of Rick and Morty? And the answer is you don't. The problem of trying to make somebody a fan isn't unique to Rick and Morty fandom. It's just like insanely popular recently. Right. It's just that all of these events have like crystallized into the perfect storm of like the worst examples of fandom. Mm -hmm. The three of us have known each other for a long time and we used to go to like anime conventions. We still go to anime conventions, but we used to as well. Um, Mitch Hedberg here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't intend to do that. Um, but like one of the problems there was like glomping. It's like people running into each other and hugging each other and like very violently without consent and etc. It's like if you're talking about young fans, like that perfectly makes sense. You're young, you're excited about something, and you don't have any other way to express it other than like to shout it out there. If you shout out "Wubba Lubba Dub Dub" at a party, and somebody responds like Pickle Rick or Rebel Level Dub Dub or it's like I'm Bird Person or something. You're like, well, those are where the cool kids are. But like you don't have any other way to express your fandom other than doing big stupid things that a TV show told you was important. Right. And it, it might be like a Monty Python thing where like the whole point of Monty Python was that it's strange and it's unusual for these like characters to say the things that they're saying, you know, but people watch those movies especially just like a thousand times and they run around and like repeat the reference that was like this weird like surrealist moment you know or like tim and eric or something and it's like a tim and eric reference or joke doesn't make sense outside the context of that thing i mean if you just shout like wubble wubble dub in public it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it's not a joke it's just like a base recognition kind of thing it's like a secret handshake or something just so someone else will pop their head up yeah me too (laughs) right yeah and that it seems like that's like as far as the interaction goes like somebody pops up and says yeah me too and then what do you do do you keep on (laughs) doing the quotes from the show like you have nothing in common except that you watch a cartoon that the other person watches and who knows maybe you're like an insane super fan and they just know the one thing from the show and i I don't know Mm -hmm. but i mean like that is that is like all fandom you're like trying to connect to other people but when you're perhaps more mature you have an opportunity to engage meaningfully <laughs> like you say that and then you're like oh so you're a fan too it's like yeah this is my favorite episode and you start a conversation but when you're young you go to the mcdonald's you try to get the szechuan sauce and you're like well i'm gonna make a big deal about it <laughs> uh, because i don't know how to express how i feel with other fans if that data from the survey is correct a lot of these fans don't feel like they have any community even though there's clearly millions of people who are also as ridiculous right yeah huh well i think that there might be some sort of a community amongst the rick and morty fans because i mean it sounds like this video of uh the fans going to mcdonald's and like jumping up on the counter it's not just one lone person it sounds like it's kind of a little group oh it is one lone person except that somebody what? is recording him so obviously they knew this oh. was going to happen i've sent you guys a link you don't yeah. have to watch just watch it later yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah save that one for later okay okay well, okay yeah even so Somebody was there recording it. So, I mean, right. this person has friends either who also enjoy the show or 
enjoy this person enough to record them do something totally stupid. But like in an article that I came across from Vice that was looking into whether or not Rick and Morty is really as smart as the fans think it is. <laughs> the uh, the writer interviewed three people, a scientist, a philosopher, and a scriptwriter. And what the scriptwriter had to say in particular, I think, like really rings true for why Rick and Morty is so popular. And that scriptwriter is Jack Warner, if you're curious at all. And one of the things that he was saying was that um, TV is probably the most personal medium because it's really easy to consume. It's totally bingeable. Right. And it seems like if you're watching it alone, especially, it seems like it's a special treat just for you. It's in your home. You don't have to go anywhere or pay anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So like if you find that you really like this one show, but maybe it's a little bit subversive, maybe it's a little bit out there, a little bit edgy. You're not sure other people are going to like it or not. But then you find out that there actually are people that like the same subversive show as you, then it helps form a really strong bond between the people involved because, in his own words, it's nice to have what feels like a subversive taste approved. Hmm. He doesn't go in any further into it, but I would guess that like psychologically, if you have a subversive taste approved, it's basically somebody saying, I have a similar taste. Right. How many approvals does it take for it to not become subversive anymore? That's the tricky part, right? Because, I mean, I guess it would have to be a worldwide phenomenon, much like The Simpsons, and, like, straggle into season 24, 25, 30, like The Simpsons. But, Yeah. yeah. That's the strange thing of, like, thinking about when it would end. Like, I wonder how long they would do it for and like how long they could have a passion for it if the network kept on asking for it and the fans kept on asking for it i don't know because like dan Harmon, you know sort of shepherded like the six seasons in a movie thing with with community and it seems like he's self-aware of the fact that like that's about as long as it can go like the simpsons made it to like nine or ten seasons and it was still good but yeah a lot of shows can't go past six or seven You've pinpointed the moment where I like started liking community less. <laughs> right after season three, you mean? Yeah. Well, like same here, buddy. Even the end of season three, where it was like Abed was like the main character almost. I didn't care for that. Right. But yeah. Well, I mean, especially for a show that tends to be so nihilistic, that seems just like really like too meta. It's like you have the, a show where the creators don't care about the work anymore, but it is a show where the people don't care about living. <laughs> it's like, it's just weird. It just like gets, it goes from being absurd and kind of funny to just like dark, very like more dark than the show is already. Right. What's interesting is like how amount of seasons and amount of time is like has stopped being correlated. Because people will like just wait for creators to deliver stuff now. If there's a season four of Rick and Morty, it's not happening, you know, the same time as it did last year, this year. Right. It like it's whenever it's ready. Like Adventure Times had the most weird erratic schedule, yeah. for example. Yeah, it's funny that like I, I feel spoiled sometimes. Like I, I watch a lot of CW shows. I know they're all trash. I know it's bad. I, <laughs> I like The Flash a lot. I like Riverdale and all that. But it's so funny that like there's a show that's consistently 23 episodes a year, you know, and there's four of them in the DC universe. So like four episodes a week, 23 episodes per show per year. And they run for like nine months a year with the same breaks every year. 
And then there's a show that I also like that's like 10 episodes every season. The season might be like a year and a half to two years apart. You know, and that's such a huge difference in the amount of content that you get. Sometimes you kind of would prefer the mediocre show. Maybe they delivers consistently. I don't know. Yeah, the consistency is not as usual anymore as fewer people watch like, you know, TV on TV or network shows or what have you. Right. It's just like you're just waiting for it to drop. Epsilon Mingle's making an interesting point in the chat about uh, fans and how they display their fandom. They personally really love Steven Universe and Rick and Morty, but dislike the fandoms of those things for the reason that, like, when you go out and proclaim your fandom to the world, sometimes the reaction can be quite negative, possibly because the fandom has given a bad experience to other people, but also just because it's it's hard to do that, I guess. Right, and it's also like, you know, in the same way that you can make a Rick and Morty reference and somebody will think that they know you and think that you're similar, you know, I could tell somebody like, oh, I saw this on Reddit, and they'll immediately assume that I'm like the worst part of Reddit, you know, that because all they hear about <laughs> is the horrible shit. Or, you know, I love Steven Universe too, and if you say that to some people, they'll like shut down on you and assume that, like you were just saying, yeah, that you're like the worst part of that fandom. Because people associate with like, Maybe they heard about like one cool thing that happened on Reddit, but they also heard about six horrible things that happened on Reddit, and they assume that that's all still part of the whole community, you know? Yeah, well, like you were saying about Rick and Morty fandoms, it's like, well, I heard some Rick and Morty fans are part of the Red Pill movement. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, if that is true, that just makes me feel even worse. <laughs> right, yeah. But like... You're, you're right, I'm guilty of the thing that I just said that other people are guilty of. I'm definitely a hypocrite. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm not blaming anybody because we do it all the time. It's the, yeah. like, unless somebody goes and vote, we're not fact-checking every conversation we have. Right, right. We just internalize it, and maybe we don't even think about it at the moment, but then later on when somebody says, like, I like this thing, that conversation is what we'll think about. Yeah. Hmm. If you don't have a face to put on fans, then you put uh, whatever you got stored in your short-term memory. Yeah. Right. That, that thing you read about or that video you saw. Yep, the person jumping up on the counter at McDonald's, swinging around their shirt. I don't get character on a show likes a food, therefore <laughs> I should like that food. It's completely beyond me. Right, I kind of get that with clothing yeah. sometimes. Like, like sometimes I'll see like somebody wear something in a movie or a TV show and I'm like, oh, that would look good on me maybe. I should try that. But never yeah. with like food i'm not like this character loves cheerios so so do i i wonder if matt smith's uh, doctor increased fish finger sales in the uk fez's, fez's. definitely fez yeah. sales. I bet, yeah. yeah i bet more people ate fish fingers and custard after it than before it <laughs> uh. they should have made it something really ludicrous you know like dog poop yeah. sandwiches and even if one person does it it's more than before you know <laughs> let's see what we can make them do yeah <laughs> This is how Tide Pods happened. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. Once one person ate a Tide Pod, it was hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know how many people have eaten Tide Pods. Probably not hundreds of thousands. It's on the flash, right? Because his metabolism can break down the Tide Pod before it does any damage to his stomach. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So there is a little segment that we like to do before we get to uh, some of the trailing segments, and that is called The Verdict. And it is where we uh, kind of summarize our thoughts or have any closing thoughts on the thing that we're talking about. Whoever would like to start, what are your closing thoughts on uh, Rick and Morty or Rick and Morty fandom? I go first. Okay. All right. So as I said, I've seen all the episodes of Rick and Morty. 
and I've pretty much enjoyed all the episodes of Rick and Morty. Like, I think it's a good show. It's a clever show, well-written, entertaining, good characters. It's not, not a lot of quibbles. I did say after the second season ended, I'd have no problem if it never came back, and I still <laughs> believe that. Like, it was fine. I didn't, I didn't, like, I enjoyed when it was on, but I don't really think about it once I turn it off. So, like, I'm, I don't know, not interested in getting more into it, nor will I necessarily watch every episode as it comes out. But uh, maybe once season four is out in its entirety, I'll, I'll sit and watch it. So I don't know if that means if I'm in or out, to be quite <laughs> honest. I'm not interested in talking to other people about it, especially. You are in and out of it in uh, in an equal number of universes. So I'm a quantum... Uh, Right, there, there is a universe where you are the guy who got up on the counter at McDonald's oh, and no. took your shirt off. Oh, yeah, I don't want to meet that guy. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a universe where we're all that guy. That's just how people order mm. their food. Yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> you, you just hit the menu item with your shirt. Oh, boy. Uh, I'll go next. Sure. All right. For the reason that we are all guilty of, I am not uh, a fan of of Rick and Morty. I will, however, continue to watch the show because uh, it's easy and I enjoy it. But like, for the same reason I can't participate in most fandoms, namely that I don't really feel like talking about. There are some things, some fandoms, some topics that I would love to talk more about, but there's nothing about Rick and Morty that I find that I would really want to talk about or that hasn't been covered in more detail in a different show that in a more interesting way. So uh, I'm not a Rick and Morty fan. I'm not interested in it maybe other than watching some more of the show i like it in the way they're like american dad or family guy in that it's a fun thing to watch but i really have a hard time saying that i enjoy it <laughs> right oh man i can step in here then try to clear my throat a little bit oh geez oh geez rick okay ready ready <laughs> Really ramping up to this. It's going to be so good. Oh, you don't, you don't know Z very well. <laughs> this is going to be an incredible diatribe. It'll, I can be, tell. it'll be huge. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't finish the first season of Rick and Morty. And unfortunately, uh, anticlimactically, not for any big bombastic reason, just wasn't one of those shows where, you know, you see the end of it. You see the last five minutes coming and you're like, I got to go find the next episode. It was just something i was watching and i was fine leaving it after the first season it competed for your attention and lost yeah basically <laughs> basically i mean eh, just didn't didn't click with me for whatever reason but i did want to add in one thing and this as as is a kind of common practice when we get to the verdict which is like the conclusion in our essay of the show um, I always like adding extra stuff to my conclusion. New information <laughs> on YouTube in my in my searching, my my wandering to try to figure out the why for this fandom. Um, I came across a YouTube clip where a Werner Herzog impersonator or Werner Herzog himself voices a very ancient and sagely looking alien who describes Earth culture as being entirely about our penises. And I think this sums up the fandom super well. Not because it's predominantly male, not because there's like notes of misogyny or anything like that, but mostly 
because it's a very complex idea broken down into an explanation that is novel and delivered in an unexpected way. Like as somebody who went through for uh, for English literature <laughs> in said college, uh, maybe not so smart after all. <laughs> um, oh boy. The whole idea that everything's about, about penises and, and vaginas, nothing new to me. Yeah. But for somebody who's like 13, 14, 15, 16, or somebody who like didn't go through for liberal arts of any kind, could blow their minds. So, so you, you you think the show is a public service then? In a, in a way, perhaps, perhaps, yeah. Kind of educating those uh, those who chose to take a track that was perhaps more practical and more in demand. Totally fair, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got a film degree. I totally feel where you're coming from. I'm not using it, not using it at all. I'm a podcast editor, so yeah. Storytelling is important for any medium, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my thoughts on the show, my thoughts on the fandom, generally, I think I came in guns blazing, ready to to totally, I don't know, take the show down. But I feel like I'm taking the pro stance now because you guys sort of <laughs> seem maybe a little bit lukewarm on it at this point. Yeah. I showed the show to a lot of my friends, even as of like three months ago, I introduced a friend to it and he really loved it and we watched it together. I've seen all of the episodes you know, from the first two seasons, like three or four or five times sometimes. I really do love it. My second podcast that I ever started was a Rick and Morty podcast and uh, transitioned to Cynical Cartoons, which is about Saturday morning cartoons now. So I feel like I actually owe a lot to the show in a weird way. And I feel like I'll definitely watch the next season as it comes out and enjoy it and participate in discussions. And hopefully I turn around on my feelings of the fandom. Not, Not that I turn around on my feelings of the fandom, but that the fandom turns around on how it yeah. interacts with people. Yeah. It's had a bad year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that during season two, there wasn't any of that that I remember. And I feel like people found it in like that year and a half long break and they just like clung on to it and like made it a meme to like get insane about every little thing <laughs> in the show. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe I just don't like meme culture or, I don't like like those kinds of like heated discussions. Like when it's a cartoon, I kind of like to just like both enjoy the thing on a level where we can just talk about it and not like freak out or not be mad at people for not liking it. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm definitely pro on the show. And yeah, I'm I'm excited for it to come back whenever that is. It could be <laughs> still two years away. Who knows at this point? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. There's one thing that we need to do before we start to wrap up the show, and that is to shine the spotlight. spotlight the spotlight is a segment where we try to find a fan related cause or project about this week's topic this week was rick and morty and i could not find anything there was a charity that was run so that you could be a voice actor on the show but that is long mm. since over yeah. uh so instead i found a charity that has nothing to do with rick and morty or if i shoehorned it in has to do with mental health and Rick has some serious mental health stuff going on and will not go to therapy. The organization is called Take This, which you can find at takethis.org. It is a registered nonprofit in the United States that was created in 2013 uh, by veteran journalists Russ Pitts and Susan Arendt and clinical psychologist Dr. Mark Klein uh, in response to the tragic suicide of one of their colleagues. The organization is known for running its AFK rooms at different conventions, so places where people can like chill and relax and not have to be stressed out by the all the other things going on 
they do do some other events and whatnot but they tend to be more localized i think they're primarily located in like seattle area in washington uh, but if you want to check that out uh, you can donate or whatnot go to takethis.org tyler would you like to tell us about your podcast Sure. I mentioned it a couple of times. Cynical Cartoons is my podcast where we watch cheesy, bizarre Saturday morning cartoons like Turbo Teen or Rubik the Amazing Cube or The Real <laughs> Ghostbusters. A lot of 80s, 90s, early 2000s stuff. And uh, we just did an event in January where we watched all of the... Uh, I mean, every January I do this. I watch four live-action film adaptions of cartoons. So this year we did... Inspector Gadget 2, Josie and the Pussycats, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Wow. I only did three this year. Dude, it was crazy. Josie and the Pussycats, I gotta recommend. <laughs> I gotta say. Really? Good movie. With, Very good um, movie, actually. Rachel Lee Cook? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Tara Reid and... Uh, Rosario Dawson. Rosario okay. Dawson. Yeah. It was really, really good, actually. So that's my main show. I also do one on a series of unfortunate events, which is called Unfortunate Associates. People can find that when the show comes back next month. And I do a podcast called Tainami, which I was keeping my uh, lips zipped about that one. It's a podcast where my friend is a lifelong fan of anime and I have notoriously hated it my whole life. And he tries to convince me that it's not all terrible. And sometimes he's right. And most of the time I'm right. (laughs) We have an episode coming up on Valentine's Day. We're doing a three-part series on a show called Kemonozume. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It is very interesting. So we split that into three parts. So you guys can check out our episode on Kemonozume Part 2, which will be out this week or next week sometime, maybe. Oh, man. I'm on Twitter as well at Future Horse Pod, and I just promote my shows there, and I make a lot of really stupid jokes that are in a similar vein to what I've said here. So if you like that, check that out, too. Amazing and like an hour-long ad for your twitter yeah <laughs> pretty much if you like all my stupid quips I, I make a lot of those so yeah it's pretty good to promote the survey oh yeah if you go to this url thenextcast.com slash survey you can check out our fandom survey where we are running a survey to try to get a better idea of what fans are like it doesn't matter whether they're fans of anime or cartoons or more specific things like real-time strategy games that wasn't specific (laughs) puerto rico the board game that's it just like really specific we don't care because we're trying to get more information about fans so if you just go to the link that i just mentioned thenextcast.com slash survey you can check that out uh, and participate in that survey we will release results of the survey probably closer towards the end of the year yeah probably towards december Mm -hmm. so this is a yes or no survey on fans in general oh no it's it's all sorts it's, of things yes fandom is good no <laughs> fandom is bad okay yeah there's just one question fandom yes no. yeah was it a mistake <laughs> know, probably i don't know oh, i don't know it's it's like how much of a mistake was it no to give an example of some of the kinds of questions that you could answer to help us out what fandoms are you interested in how long have you been interested in your particular fandom how open are you in discussing your fandom with non-fans or with fellow fans all this and more inside that survey if you were hoping this past year to get a long form census and you did it consider this it oh boy getting political but other than that you can check us out on itunes fanthropological on itunes so uh go over there hit that subscribe button and leave a rating or review also go find us on itunes this podcast is fanthropological but we three are the next cast you can find us at twitter instagram youtube and facebook at the next cast 
as well as patreon.com slash the mixcast patreon uh, if you didn't know what it is is a place where you can become a patron of the artists that you know and love whether they be uh tyler marchant and his uh various podcasts or us you can go there patreon.com slash the next cast even as little as a dollar a month is hugely helpful in funding this podcast uh our various convention reports the next cast arcade any of the stuff that we do the race against time any of that check that out patreon.com slash the next cast and I'll also say a lot of people say the thing of like, even just dollar a month. And I, for a long time, sort of like wrote that off. Like, oh, that doesn't really matter. It really does. Like, I'm on Patreon, too. Yeah, like that $1 a month is just like $1 closer to financial solvency. Mm-hmm. If that's a correct term, I don't know. I've heard that said. Solvency. It sounds right. Yeah, sounds okay. What are you uh, on Patreon? Oh, I'm at uh, patreon.com slash futurehorse, and I release episodes early there. For anybody at the $1 or above tier, you'll get episodes like one to two wow. weeks early usually. And uh, yeah, we're doing like exclusive commentaries coming up, but I didn't want to throw out my Patreon. Well, you, you, met, you mentioned yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's relevant. Yeah, yeah, no at least worries. find it easily. Yeah. Courteous host. I appreciate it. It's a Canadian thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. Being on Americans, okay. <laughs> I mean, none of us said that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, boy, oh boy. Two of Canada's most famous pastimes, uh, being generous and kind and uh, putting our collective feet in our collective mouths. Uh, But I can assure you all, I can assure every member of people kind that it's, uh, it's all good. After all, what could not be good about watching a podcast recorded live before your very eyes? Yes, that's right. If you check in to twitch.tv slash the next cast at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Monday nights at 8 p.m., which I think I might have already said, but (laughs) (laughs) you'll be able to watch us uh, record these episodes live. Sometimes we'll have guests like Tyler here. Sometimes it's just the three of us. Sometimes we have even more guests. It can get pretty wild. But the main thing is, if you want to come check that out, throw some uh, comments down in the in the chat room while we're in the middle of the show. Ask us questions. Generally, sort of participate in the discussion. You can do so by going to Twitch.tv/slash/TheNextCast at 8 p.m. Eastern Time Monday nights. And uh, also, if you show up for these live recordings, you can participate in what might be the most popular feature of the show the famous last words that's right so as we alluded to earlier we try to get some statements and questions for next week's episode in the previous episode before we've done anything as it happened uh the three of us had all seen some rick and morty but sometimes we don't know anything about that we're covering as it turns out next week we do know a little bit but we will be talking about fans of monty python and monty python in general so oh that's really yeah. funny <laughs> yeah, I brought up early. I didn't know yep i was gonna sneak it in but i'm like all right it's fine we'll move <laughs> on uh so really for everybody uh what are your famous last words about monty python fandom i'll go first i don't even have to think about it oh okay amazing go for it why does reciting a thing that you're watching make it better i love monty python <laughs> and that ruins it as far as i'm concerned yeah totally <laughs> oh man I actually kind of have one. Sure. How important is it to a fan of Monty Python to have grown up watching it? Because I didn't see Monty Python and the Holy Grail until I was like 
19, 20. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of people watched it as kids and they've just like internalized like every moment is gospel to them, you know, and I, I like it a lot. It's very funny, but like we were just saying, I don't like the person that will like sit there and quote it the whole time. So I wonder how much age is a factor, how many times you've watched it is a factor of your enjoyment of the film or the thing or the show. I did grow up watching it. Oh, man. My dad gave it to me at, a, at an early age, but uh, I don't repeat it. I let the pros handle it. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I feel like this one's not too hard for me to throw out some famous last words, too. Sure. Kind of in, in line with what G had said, but maybe a bit different. Why is it that so many groups kind of ape the style that Monty Python had, given that their style of comedy is all about being unpredictable and a little bit absurd. Why is your thing being predictable like this group that's unpredictable? Why is there a picnic face after Monty Python? Uh... Man, picnic face is legit. Picnic <laughs> face is great. That's true. Possibly the biggest comedy troupe I've ever seen. Like nine yeah. people, I think. Oh, like largest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not not most popular. Not certainly not famous. Okay. They their show got canceled after one season. Mm-hmm. It's worth watching. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's seen Power Thirst. Of course. Yeah. I see that leaves you. It does leave me. Kind of skirting around the whole like, you know, why do people watch it the way they watch it, or anything related to like sort of its influence on comedy and whatnot. What I want to know is. Is being a Monty Python fan part of being an Anglophile, or is part of uh, being an Anglophile being a Monty Python fan? Are the two exclusive, inclusive? How does that work? I feel like I want to immediately start having that discussion, but that's literally what next week is. <laughs> so. oh. Well, it's, it's good that you got that attitude my now. Tongue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, Tyler, for taking the time to chat with us. It's always a little bit of a, a challenge when there's different time zones because I always forget that that's a possibility. Dude, try and record consistently with guests from the UK, from Australia, from... I'm lucky I don't have anybody from like China or something. <laughs> Australia is especially hard and, man, figuring that out. But yeah, thank you guys for having me. This has been surprisingly Skype lag free. Nice. A lot of the time, that's more of an issue. So if it drops now, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're all good. We made it to the finish line. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Glad to have you. Cool. And uh, thank everybody for listening. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Yeah, you know, he does have a lot of really weird made-up sounding catchphrases.